Welcome to Health Hats, learning on the journey towards best health. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege living in a food oasis who can afford many hats and knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. Most people wear hats one at a time, but I wear them all at once. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. Advocacy can be a lonely and frustrating calling. Ironically, it's a long game requiring patience, planting seeds, persistence, and gratitude. Think thousand-year-old eggs. Ironic, as many people call to advocacy, have barely reigned in passion. Rather, they push, 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 never quite satisfied, never quite feeling home and done. A thriving community of advocates, activists, recognize the loneliness and offer inspiration to recharge and pull forward. Advocate communities cross-pollinate. My guest, Neely Williams, inspires me as a minister, a community advocate, and a community organizer. We work together on PCORI's, that's the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, Patient Engagement Advisory Panel, or the PEEP. Neely isn't an extrovert like me. Her strength is quiet, and intense. She talks to people about things that really matter to them, like their health struggles and how to improve their lives. Neely Williams, I am so delighted to have you as a guest. I don't see you enough. <laughs> Lots going on. There is a lot going on, isn't there? How do you introduce yourself in a social situation? Usually in a social situation, it is it's pretty much just Neely. Yeah. It just depends on what we're there to do or what, what is needed, what it may be necessary as a mm-hmm. community leader or sometimes as a pastor, if that's the setting. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's just Neely. They like to come from the Neely perspective, and then you determine whether I'm worthy of any of those other things. That <laughs> Tell me more about the uh, community leader. The community leader is, is, is probably a role that emerged out of my commitment to be a change agent in my community toward making a difference. Mm-hmm. A, a, a journey that began for me in a a vacation Bible school class some 35, 40 years ago when four, I believe it was four young men who were uh, dealing with the ravages of HIV and AIDS at that time in 1985, mm-hmm. dared to stand before our class and give a first-person presentation. Oh, And I felt like if they were brave enough to do that, I would be brave enough to go to whatever lengths necessary to be an advocate for them and mm-hmm. their families on their journey. Wow. And so I began that next week, I began my first American Red Cross training class for educating the community 
about H- educating my community about HIV and AIDS and this impact on the lives of the people who were dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And that began my role is officially, I'd say, launching myself out is not not in any intent with any intent of becoming a, a, a community leader, but just with the intent of being a person who dared to try to make this. Yeah. Did you, was that before you were a pastor or after you were a pastor? That was before. Yeah, I was still bargaining with God at that time. I was trying okay. to cook enough macaroni and cheese and <laughs> and bake enough pies and sew enough curtains to not have to be a pastor. But uh, God and I kept working on that until I stepped into that role some, another five, six years later. Okay. And wow. just continued to roll the as they said, the beat gold went rolled on, and I went back to school. And, and under the guidance of my pastor at that time, who, who suggested that to be a route for me, and that's how I kind of began uh, the reemerging of educating myself all over again. I had yeah. been doing, I worked for the bank for twenty plus years, and I had lots of course college courses, had not completed a degree, but had lots of courses in accounting and bookkeeping and all the things that went along with working at the bank. Mm -hmm. But at that point, my focus shift to sociology and theology. Yeah. Were you a pioneer? It was, were in your community, were there, was being a woman in as a pastor, was that new or was, or not so much? Oh, yes. That was very new for my Southern Baptist roots. Okay. As a Black Baptist congregant, mm-hmm. uh, that was not something I had seen. In fact, it had been something that was it, that was very much not encouraged in my tradition. Wow! Really? Uh huh. And and my pastor had been one of the persons who was the main spokesperson for that strand of thought. Okay. And he had said it, it. And his his report is that he. He went to the Bible to prove that he was right, and the Bible proved him wrong. And from there, he became an affirmative action for women in ministry. And so I I was very comfortable sitting on that third row seat, and I was justified because everything I've been taught says women are supposed to preach. Mm. Women are supposed to be leading the church. And the irony of all of that is I don't really interpret my call as a call to preach, my call is to minister and to serve. And okay. so until that end, I do. And and preaching is part of what I do, but it's not yeah. the, the, the focus or the total sum of what I do. So we met at, I think, at a PCORI Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute annual meeting, I'm thinking five, six years ago. And then we... We participated in the uh, patient engagement advisory panel as well. Uh-huh. And, and the thing that, um, attracted, uh, you to me was your community health focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, sometimes I'm underwhelmed with <laughs> the amount of focus research has on community and community health. Mm-hmm. And so I was interested that you had a, you know, ministry and that you considered the spiritual health of your community. So can you talk more about the spiritual 
health of communities, however communities are defined? Yes, I, I think they are so in, interladen or intertwined till that okay. we can't really separate the spiritual from the physical. Okay. And I think we do ourselves an injustice when we try to pocket it or say this is this over here is about health and this is about research and this is about this part and over here this is about spiritual. It, okay. it all works together. Okay. For me, there is no separation line. So if a, if a community is going to be physically healthy, it has to be spiritually healthy. And for it to be spiritually healthy, it has to have some concept of physical health. Yeah. Now, where we diverse a little bit is in what, what do we identify? That probably, that diversion probably comes more in the sense of the church and its theology than it does. And that probably happens more as we relate to how we think about whether or not a community or, or how we relate to the physical health of a community versus the spiritual health of a community. Often in some traditions of, of, of faith, physical health is and healing is the absence of disease or the absence of suffering or the absence of lack of okay. health. And, but that's not the total sum of what it means to be physically healthy or to be healed. Yeah. In the work that we do, we, we're coming at it from both perspectives, we're both as a physical health, relief of pain, release, uh, relief of suffering. Mm -hmm. and, and, and often that release comes whether or not the body is healed or not, whether or not there's a restoration or restoring of total physical health. Yeah. When persons are able to make peace with their health. Yeah. And, 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 and that journey. And that was particularly uh, powerful for me is, is that as I began to step into this work around HIV and AIDS. Yeah. That earlier point in time, it wasn't about an absence of death or the absence of, uh, or the presence of long-term survivability. Mm -hmm. But it was about how will such persons live out every day of the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that was a powerful place for me to be able to be a steward and a minister. Mm -hmm. To minister in presence and to minister with, with those that had to deal with the day-to-day -day repercussions of repercussions of the dynamics of the ravage of that disease on there. Mm -hmm. But yet finding, I've had so many of the folks that I've worked with to say to me that they didn't begin to live until they had HIV. That had so, their life had become such a an entanglement of sufferings of addictions and all the things that went with those addictions that, that they began to live again when they found some grounding in their and in, in, in living just day by day with their uh, afflictions. And so those are the, those kind of dynamics are the things that help shape the way I think about health. Oh, yeah. Shape the way I think about ministry. Yeah. And it's not always shared by the popular cast. Yes. Of folks. Uh, there may be people you would meet today say, oh, she's really not in ministry. She's doing some public health thing. And that's okay if that's what they think. But yeah. I see myself totally in, as in ministry yeah. and is still doing health and health is related issues. I'm with you 100%. I, I look at the health as first spiritual, then mental, then physical. Yes. And I know for myself, 
if my spiritual health is strong, because spiritual, mental, and physical health varies from day to day, moment to moment, but clearly spiritual strength trumps everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, yeah. okay. It's my awakening. It's my, a conscious, my consciousness of being present in the day begins yeah. with my assessment of my spiritual, where I am Yeah. in my spirit in that moment. And yeah. I have to, before I can to deal with the physical pains that may be in my body or not, I have to deal with where I am spiritually mm-hmm. that moment. Yeah. And then when I can be sanctioned in that moment with my spirit, then the rest of it can can, can fall into its place. Yeah. And if there's a day that I'd have to go slower because of my physical health, mm-hmm. then I can do that. Yeah. And if there's a day where I can explore and I, I am exuberant and I, I want to plant flowers and harvest beans, then that's, that's <laughs> wonderful too. They don't all come that way. They come with various degrees. And so I think that's, if we can help individuals to be able just to be able to make peace with those things. Yeah. And in that making peace, it's not to, to sell for or to succumb to, but it's to be able to garner the richness of every day, to be able to, to explore yeah. the, the genuine good that's in that day for you and those around you mm-hmm. and creating and making the world a better place. It's. I had a son who uh, passed away at 26 of uh, melanoma complications or mm-hmm. metastasis, and he was very spirit. He was spiritually strong in his last year of life, and not so much before that. And it was, it was just such a transformation for everybody that experience, and part of it. The way he put it was he would say, I wasn't born with a tattoo on my ass telling me how long I had to live. (laughs) And I was, my words were more accepting what is Mm -hmm. and then move on. Uh Then what are we going to do with Mm -hmm. symptoms and pain and whatever? Mm -hmm. But first it was that acceptance. Okay, so I want to shift a little bit. So the work that you and I have done together have been in the research world. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, one of the things that kind of my mission in being involved in research is shifting the power dynamics from academia and the research industry to communities. And I just, I remember being in the lobby of some hotel. It was probably in DC. (laughs) And I don't remember who was with us, maybe Beverly, but we were talking about how to help communities direct research that answered questions they wanted to have answered. And in that, if I recall that conversation, and I'm not like known for my recollection, the quality of my recollections, but I do remember having a conversation about helping communities 
feel that strength of this is what we need to know. Now we need to go get some help from people who can study it for us. Can you talk a little bit about your experience about working with your communities to own the research, to direct the research, to find the research that will help them answer questions or move along in their health? I would love to be able to say we have made that shift. I'm sure sure in that moment after having had some explosive experiences that we had in that conference, some eye-opening, some Mm eye-shattering revelations that I had on some rose-colored glasses at that time and had anticipations that we can do this. Uh, One of my uh, uh, perches that I used to perch on uh, related to this is we keep asking the powerful to teach the powerless that they are powerful, and that's illogic. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. That is so. But even to that degree now, even more so than then, the traumas that our communities are suffering have, if, if in, in many ways, put us in another place, Danny. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not so sure if my community right now, and, and, and please pardon my French here, but give a damn about research. Yeah. I think right. they are trying to live. Yes, they yes. Trying to survive, trying to, 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 to make it through the next newscast to see what traumatic thing has befell uh, befallen our nation and uh that's going to impact their uh, unemployment coming mm-hmm. forth or their employment of being able to get a job next mm-hmm. week or these things are so germane to the livelihood of human beings today to it seems like it has even put us in a furthering a distancing further from where we were wanting to go I see. Yeah, yeah. With no, the I see. whole yeah. notion of community and being empowered to ask those questions. To bring this, to bring it down to where, to one of my common sense analogies is mm-hmm. that community people speak in problems. Mm-hmm. Researchers speak in research questions. Okay. Hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Methodologies. Research design. Community people don't have, we don't have the luxury of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. We deal, we can tell you what our problem is. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to take that problem and, and put it in an equation that can uh, render itself into an hypothesis or or can render itself into a, partip- a, a proper research question mm-hmm. that can be posed to researchers to answer, then that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But not only do we not have the skills for that, we're not. That's not our interest. That's that's not how our priority list. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do some shifting. I think in the way we think about who we're making responsible to ask the right questions or to form the right research. I keep hearing in the work that I'm doing right now about uh, community-led research or uh, patient-driven. Mm-hmm. And I I keep saying to some of the powers that be, that's an ideal uh, situation. I'd love to see that happen. I said, but right now, I want you to have the community at the table. 
Mm -hmm. I want you to hear the voices of the community and the concerns that they have about the work that's going forward. I want mm -hmm. you to hear the voices of the people who say, I cannot trust you mm -hmm. to take your vaccine. Mm -hmm. And you dare to listen as they tell you why mm -hmm. they can't trust you. Those are the things that I am most uh, concerned about right now. And I think those are the things, those are the ways that we are going to be able to move the dialogue for, further as we kind of really reassess where people are. Mm -hmm. Really think about it in this present day and time, what is the most important to the people that's being most impacted? It's funny because what you're talking about is profound listening. And this is probably blasphemy, but my experience is... <laughs> this is, sounds so weird. I don't think researchers, by and large, are that good at listening. No, I, I can agree with that. So, I oh, mean, it's such a problem. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that's, I that's, mean, that's not been one of the skill sets that they were taught they needed to develop. That you needed to listen well mm -hmm. to assess a problem. Not so much. That, yeah. That's not necessarily been the, the, the pathway. Mm -hmm. to becoming a great researcher. Yeah. You know, well. Interpreting, maybe. Fundraising. Um, yes, absolutely. Getting through tenure, making full professorship. All those things have a set of skills and set of uh, things you learn. These are things you have to do to get this done. But nobody ever said to do good research, you have to learn how to listen to people that you're researching or to the ones most impacted by the problem you're researching. Mm -hmm. Nope. And uh, maybe that's something some of our behavioral sciences can uh, lend to the, the field of research in that they say for a counselor to be good at what they do, they have to be able to listen more. Mm -hmm. So how do we take this now and shift this and say, OK, for researchers, for you to be good at what you do, for you to be able to produce research that matters, mm -hmm. you'll have to learn how to listen. Mm -hmm. to the people it's most impacted by them. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com, A-B-R-I-D-G-E.com, or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. It's interesting. I've been, I just got appointed to the PCORI Board of Governors. Which is a humbling and awesome position. Yes. And, but I think that this business that we're just now talking about, this listening to what communities, what problems communities are dealing with, mm -hmm. 
is has to be at the core of my mission in this seat. And when I met with Nikayla Cook the other day as an introduction for my board seat, what I said to her was my first priority was health equity. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think this business that you've just been talking about listening is really at the core of equity because before you can deal with the power dynamics that we were mm-hmm. talking about, mm-hmm. you got to know about what. Oh, that's right. Do you have um, advice for me? <laughs> <laughs> I want to make something of this position. I Certainly, I want to say to you, I certainly appreciate your approach. Danny, uh, this is certainly this is not our first conversation since you've had this appointment, mm-hmm, right? And I am excited for this appointment for you. I was excited even in the earlier part of the year when you sent out the solicitation or letting mm-hmm. us know you was interested in that position and and for us to advocate to that end. And I'm grateful for what is the culmination of that. I believe that you are certainly man of wisdom in the way you are approaching it. Because it would, and it speaks so well to me of who you are. Because if you had a different agenda with this position, Mm -hmm. you're taking a different approach. Mm -hmm. But because you truly are who you have been representing yourself to be on the peak and on Mm -hmm. the other roles that we've seen you play in the community, I have no doubt that you will marshal this opportunity or this responsibility in such a way that it is going to benefit the most beneficial to community mm-hmm. and people who are impacted by the inequities mm-hmm. and the injustice that are being played out in our streets being replicated in our research. And I'm just grateful that you have that position, that you are the one. That, Thank you, know, you. Yeah. What I'm challenged to to so it's this listening business one of the things that's a that's a challenge when you as you rise in an organization like i found that when i went from being a director of something to a vp of something and mm-hmm. was in the c suite was it gets increasingly difficult to stay in touch with What's happening in the street? What's happening on the ground? What's Mm -hmm. happening in the office? What's happening in the clinic? Mm -hmm. Because the forces are different. Mm -hmm. And the responsibilities are different. And the people you talk to most of the time are different. Yeah. You sit at a table and you're just talking to the same people every day or Mm -hmm. every week or every month or whatever, however Mm -hmm. the cycle is. Mm -hmm. And that challenge of staying in touch Mm -hmm. is gets harder. I don't know if it gets harder because it's always hard, but it's different. And I think the PEEP, the Patient Engagement Advisory Panel, is meeting next week. And I'm going to, instead of being an active participant, I'm going to be a lurker. I'm going to listen. And I want to try to do the same at other panels. 
Mm-hmm. So that's one way to listen. Mm-hmm. Another way to listen is the well podcasting. This you and me. That's another way to listen. I'm I'm nervous about mm-hmm. my ability to keep listening. It's not a given. I think the ability to listen is often driven by our tendency to be distracted. Okay. Okay. Yes. So the more grounded we are in where we're going, where we're coming from, what our experiences have been, what we perceive to be success or Mm -hmm. what we are, all those things will have a great impact on our ability not to be distracted. Okay. No, I think that's a sort of meditation is what you're saying. Listening is a meditation, isn't it? It is. And it's a presence also. We do listen by intentional, active listening. We have all uh, engaging listening, these different uh, terminologies for listening and, and, and behavioral science. But we also have to listen by being present with folks and being able to just be able to sit with them where they are. Yeah. So are, are, are you able to listen and both be a former member of the people as well as now being a new member of the governance board? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then being able, you being able to shift that hat. Yeah. Because the people who you will most likely interact with are the people who knew you as a peak member. But the people who are looking on might be the people who are saying, let's see who this person is coming into this governor's. Is, is he, you know, is he, is he serious enough? Is he whatever? Mm-hmm. And, and you're the one who will balance the, the ability, your ability to be able to listen both as a, you have new responsibilities. So some of the things that when you were there just as a peak member, such as myself, you mm-hmm. didn't know about those responsibilities. You didn't have any it is those weren't things that were on your plate, so you could blast it. I could, you know, I have the freedom to say some things that you may not have the freedom to say because you're not, you're in a different place. You have a different level of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I take that to the same degree when it comes to my community. Mm-hmm. And I have a, re- a level of responsibility for my community. It's not just about being able to sit in the seat and say, I'm here to represent my community. But I'm also have the responsibility to represent my community and the voices of my people who are in pain and who are suffering, who are, who, who don't know what to make of all of these things that's going on. And they're not able to get a grasp on on, on how the pieces are shifting mm-hmm. and where the power is, 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 is going and, and who's going to make the decisions and who is who, you know, what's going to be researched and when and and what will the vaccine look like and who will get it and mm-hmm. why will it benefit this group and not benefit this other group? And how are you going to use this information right now as we hear it played out over airways? We must get black and brown people involved in in, in the in the trials. Mm-hmm. So is this really a call to get us involved or is this a setup? To say, since you're not involved, mm. you can't hold me responsible for you not being impacted. Mm. We've got to have, we, these are all undercurrents. These are all things that are, are, are there. And we are all people, survival instincts. And, and we've learned how to, to carve our way, make our way, navigate our way through the thickness and the brushes and the 
uh, uh, the thickets of life. Mm-hmm. And now we are facing something we've never, that's unprecedented. Mm-hmm. We've never seen this before. Don't know how it's going to play out. We don't know what's going to happen next. And we have to be diligent in our efforts to just be present with the people. So what if they wear me out for working with Vanderbilt and, and, and these researchers? Yeah. So what? Is it is my self-esteem or my feeling so soft on my shoulders that I want you to think I'm doing good and you don't think I'm doing good? Listen, people are suffering. Yeah. So be uh. you, do you, bless my advice for you. Be the authentic you, the most authentic you that you can. Be responsible with the with the responsibility so you can be present. Mm -hmm. Because it won't do us any good for you to have been selected and you're and you not be able to hold your own in that setting. You can can, see. We needed you there because there are a lot of you there, but not a lot of you there have the sensitivities that you. That's a very sober conversation, Neely. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get into this in this conversation, but thank you. Thank you. Wow. What should I be asking you, or what should we be talking about that we haven't? Danny, we <clears throat> we press our way through these, this work every week. Mm-hmm. And for I, I can only imagine for you and many others like my, yourself and myself that we we get to Friday and we exhale and we try to incorporate normal life into the next couple of days. Just doing the ordinary thing, washing dishes for myself or cooking a meal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Monday morning, I'm, I'm ready to go again with some whatever meeting or mm-hmm. whatever I have to do to be able to be a voice for the voiceless in this process. So those are the things that keep us afloat every day. But some of the things that we've had some conversation about today has already began to refresh me for the journey for next week. Oh, uh, You're reminding me that even as I speak it out, that we have to listen, that I too have to continue to cultivate my skills of listening. Mm-hmm. And listening to my not only the external but the internal, Ex- the voices of those that are clangering from the outside that does not understand, cannot understand, will not understand the the processes and the ways that we have to go at this, as well as my own internal turmoil. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a part of me that sometimes just wants to just shuck it. Just say, this is not changing. I've been at this a long time. Let somebody else take the whim of this and Mm -hmm. let's let it go. I've had to go back and forth on something here in the last day or so. That's just, it's redundant. For me, it's not necessary. But for the people that I'm seeking to equip to go with me on this journey, it is necessary because they haven't heard the the conversations I've heard. They Mm -hmm. haven't had the conversations I've had. They -hmm. haven't been in some of the decision-making places I've been. So Mm -hmm. they can't be held responsible for the things that they don't know. And so... Well, so that's the other side of it. So the one side of it is the listening part. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it, you know, that... So when I, you 
talked earlier in the conversation about this epidemic of mistrust. Those might not have been your words, but you did say mistrust. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And so part of it is listening. But the other part of it is being transparent Mm -hmm. about how the sausage is made Mm -hmm. so that which I don't know is is totally like absolute, like you got to know every gory detail, but still that, you know, when you're saying this redundancy, I'll bet part of that is saying over and over again, this is how, this is how it works right now. It doesn't have to stay this way, but this is what it's like now. Mm-hmm. Because I think my faith in people is that, Mostly, because nothing is always, but mostly when people have an understanding of circumstances, they're more able to meet challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the other side of the responsibility of this being on the Board of Governors is Mm -hmm. to share, this is how this part works. Maybe the constituency for that isn't necessarily the the public at writ large, but people like you, people mm-hmm. who represent mm-hmm. communities, mm-hmm. people who are trusted in communities. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole nother side of it is being out there with this is what's going on. This is how your tax dollar is being spent. Mm-hmm. These are the priorities right now. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you. I think you're onto something in that you have a unique opportunity. Mm-hmm. There will not be others, if any, who will have had the. I want to say constituency or mm-hmm. the company or community that you had coming to this. Mm-hmm. Right. You may have a lot of the same skills. You're businessmen. You know what to do. You, you got, there's no lacking in, in, in capability, but you didn't come the same way. And no one else on the board of governors will have sat on the people. It's to my understanding. To, unless, no, I'm not sure. Time, is that at this time? Is that I right? think that's true. And having been a merit reviewer, all right. Okay. You know, so I those mean, those things. Yeah, those are some things that you bring in a different lens to the governor. And mm-hmm. what I would, you said, do I have advice for you? Yeah. Hold on to that. Don't dismiss that as as not important mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, because those are the things that's like those glasses you're wearing. That's those are the things that's tinting the lens of which you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And when you can take those things and with your ability to articulate with your skills to be able to understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. you'll be able to give them a richness for making decisions that they would not have had without having children. And and that's the, and one of the things that I have wrestled with is having been chosen. Mm-hmm. This whole notion of, oh, being the chosen one or being the one who can verbalize well or the one who can move through. See, when we only think 
It's about the privilege. We missed the rock. We missed the boat. Because mm-hmm. it's about the responsibility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, in our faith tradition, it, 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 the dynamics of the approach to being a minister is grounded in perception. Mm-hmm. If it's about being up front, the one with the mic, the one who everybody sees, the one who everybody knows, the one who everybody can call you Reverend so-and-so by name. If that's your focus, then you got a, 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 a approach that is totally different from someone who, like myself or others, who are laborers in the vineyard, who came to this thing not to be seen, not to be halted uh, up in the most glorious ways and, and all of us not to not to not to be cavalier now a fame and and, and and influence is is intoxicating to anyone recognition it's nice to walk in a restaurant and people start pulling out chairs for you because they know who you are and you have never seen them before that it's easy to get caught up in that but when mm-hmm. you have to go back to the why you're in it Mm-hmm. See, I go back and those four young men who many of them have uh, oh, long since left this earth, but they are the why. Mm-hmm. And when I can see their face, mm-hmm. then it takes all the shine off of any little glorification that my little <laughs> mind could conceptualize about where they call me Reverend. I tell people, they say, why don't you tell people you are, are Reverend Williams or that you are a pastor? I said, I would hope that my behavior will tell you that rather than me telling you that verbally. Not because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be modest or uh, incognito or Mm -hmm. some false sense of something. But I can drive up to a drive-up window and the attendant would say, have a blessed day. Mm -hmm. And I drive away from that window saying, what made her or uh, him feel that they needed to use the word blessing with me rather than have a nice day or mm-hmm. get out of my face or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And though that's the piece. Yeah. And I never said to that person, good morning, I'm Reverend Williams and mm-hmm. I like my sausage and biscuits on the left or the right and the mm-hmm. coffee just piping mm-hmm. hot. You don't have to do all of that. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to do all that. You don't have to change to be on the board of governors. Neely, <laughs> you're a wise woman. So I think we are going to have more conversations because I actually think I'm going to need some of that. Uh, I'm going to need some of that uh, inspiration to keep going sometimes. If the role I can play mm-hmm. is to support you, I'm on in any way. Mm-hmm. Well, and thank I you. say that in the midst of your podcast, or you can edit it out, or you can whatever. <laughs> but it, this with the sincerity of heart. We seek to do the best we can for the people we serve. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it doesn't matter who is the one to do the whatever. It, mm-hmm. it, we all are needed, you what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So any conversations, Danny, and I truly mean that from the depths of my heart. I, I, I knew you from a distance. Mm-hmm. And the last year, I've come to know you from a little bit closer up mm-hmm. through the feet. 
And and I, I certainly more than ever understand how the peep is is the greatest of uh communities that we come and we we and encapsulate each other. Mm-hmm. And we don't judge each other about what your phraseology is. And you got your Freddies and you got your Al's and you got your Danny's and you got your Neely's, you got everybody that's part of you, Beverly's and all of us mm-hmm. that's part of it. And we are all a part of one another. Mm-hmm. So call anytime, email anytime, reach out anytime. Thank you. And, and you will often be in my thoughts as, and, and as you go forward to do Thank your you. work. And I know that you're going to do a wonderful job. I know it's <laughs> profound for you to be at this time. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining me for this. This is great. I appreciate it. This has been fun. Great. Yeah. I'm going to uh, continue to keep you in my thoughts. I'm Thank you. I'm going to hop you. off and hop on another meeting. Okay. And, uh, good. Talk Take care. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Should I be surprised at the artful ministering I received from Neely Williams? My spiritual health can always use a tune-up. I gravitate towards spiritually healthy teams, groups, and settings, and away from the opposite. I leave clinicians who aren't themselves spiritually healthy, have left jobs and dropped out of groups. Spiritual health deserves and craves community spiritual health. Inclusion, healthy critique, acceptance, calculated risk-taking, listening, humility, all demonstrate spiritual health. How do you create and nurture spiritual health for yourself or your communities? See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources on my website, www.health-hats.com pod. Please subscribe or contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.